from Ski Tracks, it's the show people talk about. It's Talking with the Gravy Train, your source for Nordic news and one-on-one interviews with current Nordic skiing newsmakers of the day. Sometimes we'll look back and share the rich history of the sports, and sometimes we'll be engaged in the current topic of the day. And now, here's your host, longtime Olympic announcer, Peter Graves. Hello again, everybody. I'm Peter Graves. It is another holiday edition of Talking with the Gravy Train. And I have uh, Colin Hilton on the phone with us today, live from his office in Park City. He is the president and CEO of the Utah Olympic Legacy Foundation. And uh, in full disclosure, I have known uh, Colin a long time, and we worked uh, together back in uh, uh, 2000 to 2002 as members of the Salt Lake Olympic Organizing Committee. Colin! Great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today. I know you're busy. Uh, Good to be on the show today, Peter. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're so welcome. So, um, heady times right now. Uh, The the future uh, regarding the Utah Olympic bid, the Salt Lake bid, uh, was approved by uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, So, tell me in general how everybody's feeling about this out there. What's the mood like? Well, yeah, we're, we're obviously very excited. We're humbled. Uh, we are feeling like all of our hard work over so many years has uh, uh, now uh, been recognized, if you will, of uh, having uh, what we feel has uh, been a, a, a multi-organizational, uh, multi-pronged effort to have an Olympic, leg- Olympic and Paralympic legacy here in Utah. And... Uh, we couldn't couldn't be more thrilled uh, to be uh, named a future bid city for the USOC. Now, tell the folks that are listening um, the the venues uh, that fall under your uh, leadership. Uh, happy to, uh, and and we're we're the foundation that kind of looks after the venues that are uh, really some of the hardest ones to maintain and operate because they are. Uh, ones that uh, don't break even, uh, they have to be subsidized uh, to keep the uh, uh, rate structure for our user groups at an affordable level. So we look after the Soldier Hollow Nordic Center in the Heber Valley. We look after the Utah Olympic Park in Park City and the Utah Olympic Oval in the uh, Salt Lake City uh, region. And uh, so it's it's been a little time since 2002. Uh from my own recollection, but I'd like to have you speak on it. I mean, um, in many ways, you're you're nearly venue ready almost for an Olympic Games, right? I mean, things have stayed up to date, and and you've been using them a lot since the uh, 2002 Games. Give me a little feeling about all that. Well, that has been our focus for, you know, 16 years since uh, the Games ended here. Uh, We had leadership in our state many years before the 2002 Games that actually envisioned a legacy foundation uh, to be able to look after these hard-to-maintain and keep operating Olympic venues. So we're quite proud of the fact that not only have we been able to keep the doors open to the facilities, but uh, we uh, generally say we're about four times busier in their use 
uh, today than right after the O2 games. And uh, that is because of a conscious effort to make these facilities not just elite athlete training centers, but uh, they are uh, used by people of all ages, all ability levels, athletes or visitors, uh, and uh, they are um, uh, learning grounds uh, for especially our youth uh, to take part in all of these wonder, wonderful Olympic uh, sports that uh, we're able to, uh, to keep running, having these unique facilities maintained and open. Well, um uh, the, the New York Times, in a, in a recent story, uh, said that uh, you know Salt Lake won in what was, and I quote here, a predictable slam dunk pick in the process that also included Denver and Reno. And I, I think Denver especially had, I mean, there were lots of mixed feelings about uh, from the populace that I had read. Um, so uh, it, it strikes me. And correct me if I'm wrong with this assumption that the people are uh, not only ready, but they're also really willing and energized by um, the possibility of uh, bringing the games back. Um, that's correct, isn't it? That I mean, everybody's excited. You've got some members uh, left over from the O2 organizing committee, and I'm sure there'll be some new people as well. Yeah, it, we, uh, I think, really do have a distinguished uh, uh, characteristic here in Utah that, you know, we, we are passionate about uh, the Winter Olympics, and uh, we have uh, ongoing regular competitions in all of uh, uh, the Olympic sports that, uh, you know, hosting annual World Cups and freestyle and speed skating and bobsled, skeleton, luge. Uh, we... We have a population that comes out and supports these athletes because they live in our communities and uh, they're, they're part of the fabric. And uh, many of uh, the general population um, thinks it's really cool that their kids can actually learn uh, in these unique sports and that the venues are very accessible, very affordable programs that we offer and uh, for me, it's it goes with a, again a conscious philosophy of saying, you know, we we are promoting the ideals of the what's really good about Olympism and the Olympic movement at a grassroots level, and uh, we we view that um, uh, efforts uh, to uh, use sport to teach life lessons, uh, building confidence, setting goals. Those are important aspects, and, and I think we've really struck a chord with the broader population because of that uh, that philosophical philosophical approach here. Yeah, and and your bid uh, comes at a time when the IOC is under some measure of pressure to change some of their bidding requirements. There, there's been a lot of uh, introspection, I think, from the IOC um, into what can we do to encourage more bids because not a lot of people are bidding. And um, uh, so this would be going back to a venue that at this point is, uh, is already highly developed and, and you can do it for a, a lot less money. I mean, I, I was, uh, 
at the Sochi Games working as an announcer. Uh, uh, Sochi was the most expensive Olympics ever. And uh, I'm told again from the New York Times that uh, um, you will be able to uh, run these games at uh, but a fraction of the cost of what uh, Sochi spent. Uh, the number being batted around uh, is something like $1.35 billion. That's a uh, $50 billion less than it costs Russia to hold the games. There, yes. we're, we're talking and, and we about think a, yeah, that amazing. is absolutely what the Olympic movement needs right now is to not have to build uh, new facilities, new expensive investments, and go to places that actually are um, using these facilities for their intended purposes, hosting annual events at all levels from local and regional events all the way to international World Cups and World Championships, and, um, and finding ways to be creative and keeping these facilities active and vibrant. And for us, um, I, I think the timing uh, is really good that, you know, we, we have maintained this approach uh, to not waiting until uh, going into a hibernation mode and then saying we want to host the games uh, 20 or 30 years later, but uh, actively maintaining, improving, and using these facilities in an envisioned way that, uh, um, you know, most organizing committees in the past until Salt Lake were pretty much focused just on a three-week competition and not a lot about what you do afterward. And I'm proud of being a part of that organizing committee leading up to 2002 that really put an emphasis on thinking about what to do after the games and not just uh, putting on a three-week competition. Right. And the year we are talking about primarily is 2030. Is that right? That is. Uh, that is what uh, we're f- obviously following the lead of uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee, and uh, uh, we are um, focused on that and and just being patient and at this point to understand what the timeline and process will be uh, to have a, 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 a bid uh, process that we would then enter in for 2030. That's a little uh, undefined yet, and uh, we'll await the USOC's uh, uh, lead as to how we might get into that. Okay. Do you have an idea at this point who the other bidding cities might be for 2030? Uh, just, just, I'm sure what you read as well, Peter, uh, you know, we've seen, uh, Sapporo, uh, Japan is, uh, is one, uh, city that is kind of put out there and then the rest has just been sort of rumor mill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that's about the only one I've heard definitively were that are interested and, uh, I, I'm sure things will, uh, progress as time moves on. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, I, I think the IOC, and we have a North American audience here, in fact, global, really, on the Internet, um, uh, the IOC likes coming to North America. I think we've had a track record of, uh, of uh, superlative games. Um, games and regular hosts of World Cups, and, you know, that is one of the things that 
Um, I'm, I'm happy to report that beyond even the venues that our foundation, our Olympic Legacy Foundation, looks after here in Utah, but we've got resort partners in uh, Deer Valley and Park City and um, some of the multi-use facilities where the Utah Jazz, uh, you know, operate, uh, where we, we would then do a figure skating and uh, short track speed skating events. All of our community partners of these host uh, venues uh, from O2 have all written support letters to the U.S. Olympic Committee as a part of our candidature process, uh, mm-hmm. and and are calling me out of all you know every week here, going, okay, what do we got to do next? And and so I think the the the, the athlete uh, 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 take on uh, coming back to Utah. Is would be well received because they know us. They come here on a regular basis, and as you remember, Peter, our focus for the 2002 games was very much a focus on the athletes, and that the games were intended to be fair field of play for all athletes from every nation. And um, you know, I think you absolutely will see that focus on uh, making these games about the athletes. And uh, for the region here, we just want to be good hosts and uh, to host the world again. It was so rewarding for so many people here. Uh, it has left a, a great memory. And, you know, somebody calculated that uh, about a third of the current population, uh, as, as we are a young state here, young population, wasn't around uh, in 02 to remember the right. game. So <laughs> there's, there's a bit of... Uh, excitement for the younger generation to experience what a lot of us older folks uh, were able to enjoy back then. I know. I was counting the years up the other day, a little bit scary, and I said, my goodness, I'll be like 75 uh, when the games are there, but I, I still hope there'll be a position for me if uh, if I'm uh, up and able. <laughs> absolutely, Peter. We need uh, we need you, so uh, we, we, we you. too uh, look forward to that opportunity. Okay, now I want to ask you about this winner, um, though not under your purview. Uh, 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 a very big freestyle world championships is going to be held in Park City. I think this will really be uh, maybe the largest event in terms of numbers and multidisciplines that uh, we've had since the Olympic Games. Uh, maybe mention that a little bit. Yeah, and uh, very unique because not just the Freestyle World Championships, but Freestyle and Snowboard World Championships. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, those two uh, disciplines and, and sport uh, areas together uh, in a two week, roughly a two-week period in the beginning of February uh, here in Park City and over at Solitude um, is, is got the town just a buzz of activity uh, and excitement, uh, knowing that uh, this, this from a, a number of events and the amount of an impact is going to be one of the biggest uh, events that Park City's seen uh, in a Winter Olympic uh, sport uh, discipline since '02. Um, and and people, given all of the Olympic uh, news lately as well, is just uh, creating a real buzz. And so our venue partners of Deer Valley and Park City Mountain Resort in Solitude over in um, uh, the Cottonwood Canyons uh, are playing host to this event, and uh, we are excited to do that. Um, following that, I'm sure you want to yes. get into uh, 
You know what I'm going to ask, so go ahead. (laughs) Biathlon. Let's talk about it. So, yes, we are thrilled to death uh, to uh, uh, host a a Biathlon World Cup over at Soldier Hollow uh, in uh, the third, roughly the uh, middle to third week of February, February 14th through 17th to be exactly, uh, the the BMW Biathlon World Cup uh, uh, coming to Soldier Hollow. We have not hosted a World Cup since 2002, and so we have been uh, going through a lot of um, process to uh, to get uh, our Class A license again uh, to homologate and to uh, bring up to current standards uh, the course and the range. And uh, we are last winter held uh, the U.S. National Biathlon Championships, and so we've been building up again our technical officials and volunteer base. Uh, to be able to host this event. And uh, we're super excited. Obviously, our good friend uh, Max Cobb with right. USI, US uh, Biathlon um, has been uh, a key partner in getting our uh, planning uh, going for that. And just super excited. The, the region, that area of the Heber Valley has been growing leaps and bounds. And so we've been doing a lot to uh, get the community excited uh, to play host to this event. Hey, Colin, the other question I wanted to ask you is, um, so uh, with work potentially to be done, um, is there a particular venues that you're going to have to put, you know, resources into financially to upgrade them more? I mean, uh, what do we see on the kind of project horizon level? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's been one that... Uh, over the last five years, I've been uh, sort of teeing up uh, this uh, this um, uh, pointing out to the reality is that we have aging facilities that need uh, funding to improve them. So we have been um, doing a, sort of a multi-prong effort of both public and private fundraising uh, to receive funding to be able to do these proper enhancements uh, to, uh, in this case, for me, the three legacy venues that we look after. Um, the, the interesting dynamic is uh, the resort our resort partners in Deer Valley, Park City, Snow Basin, um, just given the growth happening in Utah, they have been making improvements uh, at these ski resorts uh, with upgraded snowmaking and um, uh, lodging and uh, 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 actual athlete support areas just has been happening naturally. So, mm-hmm. um Places like the Vivint Home Solutions Arena, which is what used to be the Delta Center back in our day, yep. uh, Peter in 02, um, they have done a $120 million renovation of that facility that will, you know, again, unaffiliated with any Olympic organizing effort. So a lot of these privately run facilities have been upgraded. And two, then, the legacy venues of Soldier Hollow, the Olympic Park, and Olympic Oval, we actually got in the last state legislative session uh, a commitment by the state of Utah to invest uh, up to $40 million over the next uh, 10-year period to help us with all of the things like improved snowmaking systems at Soldier Hollow and um, a lot of the 
the hard to fundraise kind of things that mm-hmm. are roadway improvements, utilities, uh, water delivery systems, uh, parking lot improvements, those kind of mechanical systems of buildings add up to some very expensive uh, improvements. So the state, uh, knowing that we want to be a, a, a mecca for winter sport training and hosting events, committed those funds through our foundation, and we couldn't be more happy. It'll be a great return on investment for the state. Oh, that's wonderful. And it's sensational that you get the support. If only now we could get Mitt back. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Well, he is in part back. He's now a a U.S. senator representing Utah. So he is is certainly supportive. But I think you touched on this. We have uh, a a number of folks from the O2 uh, leadership team of the Salt Lake Organizing Committee, mainly Fraser Bullock. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fraser is our our leader, if you will, in this effort to bring another games back and um, his amazing budget uh, acumen and leadership mm-hmm. uh, and relationships in the Olympic uh, sport world is um, allowing all of this to happen. And, and we are uh, in step with his vision and uh, couldn't be more excited at the prospects of bringing a games back to Utah. Well, Colin, uh, it's wonderful to talk to you. I- I'm really excited uh, by hearing uh, what you have to say, and, and it-, it looks like a very exciting winter ahead. So certainly wish you uh, very well in all the projects you've got coming up. Yeah, well, uh, I wish we were going to have you out here in February, Peter, but I, it sounds like you're busy over in oh, Sweden. So I, I know. Uh, I w- I'd I'm, love to be with you, and I will be with you in spirit for sure. Uh, Colin, have a very happy holiday. Thanks a lot for talking to us. Thank you, Peter, and happy holidays to all. All right. That's Colin Hilton, and uh, very interesting to hear from him. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have some thoughts from Tom Kelly. You're listening to a very special holiday edition of Talking with the Gravy Train. And now, once again, here's your host, Peter Graves. Welcome back to this special holiday edition of Talking with the Gravy Train. I'm Peter Graves in studio today. Well, you just heard from uh, Colin Hilton talking about an exciting winter and future in Utah. Now joining me on the telephone is my old friend, former U.S. Ski Team Vice President of Communications. He did it for a long time, retired uh, this past spring, now running his own agency, Tom Kelly Communications. Welcome, Tom Kelly, to the show. Well, it's good to be here, Peter, and uh, happy holiday greetings to everybody. It's a white Christmas out here in Utah, and I know it is in a lot of uh, ski country places around the nation. Yeah, the winter is starting out great. So, uh, Tom, let's first talk about some of the, maybe the things Colin uh, Hilton alluded to. Uh, First of all... um, I mean, you are not on the organizing committee, uh, but you certainly have followed this stuff all very closely. It seems to be, from what he said, that there is tremendous enthusiasm in the state for this bid. Well, there really is, and I, I think the best way to look at it is it's just a culture of sport out here. Utah is the state of sport, and uh, taking advantage of the 2002 Olympics, not just for the 17 days of the Games, but really creating a an culture that attracts athletes and uh, has a very vibrant atmosphere for youth sport here in the state, both summer and winter. Uh, it's really quite a remarkable place. Uh, it's a 
culture where the people here really take advantage of an outdoor active lifestyle, and that translates very well into athletics. Yeah, uh, Tom, you've followed the uh, movement for a long time. You've been to many Olympic Games. It seems to me that right now uh, we're in a transitional area, particularly with the IOC, how they look at the bidding process. They uh, they have not had as many cities step up for various games as in the past. There is talk about now returning to, in some ways, sort of a, a simpler concept, uh, more bid friendly, uh, less costly, and a return to uh, past venues. What do you see? What is your insight on what the IOC is looking for now? Well, for sure, the IOC has had challenges with sites, and we've seen seven sites bidding for 2026, and that's now down to two that are remaining as we head into the final stages of that. But there are two strong bids. Uh, Stockholm has gone through some challenges, but does have a strong bid. The venues may be a little bit of a distance from the city. Uh, the Milan-Cortina bid is a fascinating combination that I don't think many people gave a, a lot of uh, uh, optimistic chances to when it was first announced. Cortina and Milan, 400 kilometers apart, but two great regions, and uh, two regions that are very affluent and it appears that they have a very, very strong candidacy. And as we look forward to the decision by the IOC coming up next summer, uh, it will, in my opinion, pretty much weigh heavily towards Milan right now. But there were five other cities who, who dropped out of the race, and that, that was really unfortunate because there were some really good candidates in there. Uh, the IOC has a challenge, but I think it's taking steps to try to simplify the process. Uh, in Utah, you know, we, we probably look at it a little bit differently. We have a populace who is uh, supportive of the Olympic movement and sees the opportunities, and we also have a sports community out here that has taken very good care of venues. And this winter, as an example, we have the 2019 World Championships in freestyle, free ski, and snowboard taking place here in Utah. We also have a uh, an IBU Biathlon World Cup taking place on the Olympic venue at Soldier Hollow. And this is kind of a normal year uh, with events like this. So that culture has been maintained very well here in Utah. And I wish that we had more examples like that around the world uh, where there was continual use of those venues so we would have those opportunities uh, to go back. Tom, I want to ask you about the Denver bid. Uh, I was a young reporter at that time in 1976 or 75 when the Colorado uh, had a vote and, and a referendum and, and they decided not to host the games, which was, uh, you know, a tough decision. But uh, the, the general populace, I think, was very much in favor of not having it. What did you think or, or assess a little bit the Denver bid? That's been frustrating to watch that because there's there has not been the support of the people. Uh, it, there are certainly great venues and there's a great sport culture in Colorado, but nothing ever really came together too well with that. Uh, and it, it seems that there still is a fair amount of holdover from that time in the past. And that's very frustrating for someone like me who's involved in Olympic sport and knows that there are really good venues there. Uh, but it, because things never really gelled there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, interesting. I mean, there's so many great facilities uh, in the state, but uh, in any event, uh, that was the uh, will of the people, apparently. So, uh, Tom, I want to talk about you a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, you left the ski team um, this past spring after how many years? Almost 30? or? Yeah, I was with U.S. Ski and Snowboard for 32 years, and it was a, it was a great experience. I worked initially as the assistant national Nordic director and moved on to head up public relations and communications for many years. So it put me in contact with some great athletes and I was able to work in multiple sports, U.S. ski and snowboard, probably one of the most diverse of all of the Olympic sports organizations with everything from alpine to cross country, jumping Nordic combined, freestyle snowboarding, uh, uh, very, very uh, interesting. Every day was, was something different. Uh, but I wanted to, at some point in my career, just branch out and uh, approach sport a little bit differently. So right now, under my Tom Kelly communications umbrella, I'm starting to work with more different Olympic sports and also into the uh, youth sport arena. Uh, so I, I continue my relationship with U.S. Ski and Snowboard in some ways. I'll be working as chief of press for the World Championships in freestyle and snowboard coming up this February. Also doing some work for U.S. Biathlon, which has a World Cup coming up on the Utah venues this winter, uh, working for an organization called GreatCoach.com, which folks may have read about lately. It's a startup uh, uh, technology platform that's uh, trying to uh, help in this uh, day and age where parents want to learn more about who's coaching their kids. And GreatCoach.com has done some amazing work to uh, try to uh, hopefully clean up uh, uh, the coaching area and uh, showcase great coaches more and also give parents an opportunity to learn more about who really is uh, coaching their kids every day. Uh, I think the one thing that has really resonated most with me since leaving U.S. Ski and Snowboard, where much of my work was involved on the elite end, is to broaden out and work more with youth sport and a broader range of sports. And it's just very gratifying for me to work with organizations that have young kids getting involved in sport and having them find the fun and the joy of taking part in athletic competitions. You know, not everybody's going to go on to win an Olympic medal, and sport plays such a vital role in our society today that uh, it's gratifying for me to be able to give back and use some of my experience to help you sport prosper in a very safe way. Yeah, well, that's that's wonderful, Tom. I, I'm really glad that you found a way to stay involved. If anybody out there is interested in your uh, consultancy, how could they get in touch with you? Uh, you can reach me here at Park City. I'm uh, easy to reach at Tom at TomKellyCommunications.com. Uh, you can also go to my Behind the Gold website at BehindTheGold.com. Uh, my public speaking uh uh, work is actually uh, also quite gratifying in being able to tell the Olympic and sports story through my uh, public speaking sessions. I've done a few of them actually this week here in Park City and uh, been doing them all over the country this summer and fall. So it's a good way to spread the word and take my experience and give back a bit and get people motivated about Olympic sport. That's wonderful. Well, Tom, on a personal note, I thought that uh, probably uh, when you left the ski team, you might uh, sleep in a little bit longer, but my guess is you're still up early in the morning. I like early mornings. You, know, you just get a lot of work done. There's really not a lot of people bothering you between you know five in the morning and seven in the morning. So I, I really do love that time. And I think too, as a photographer, I've always been used to going out and watching sunrise. Uh, uh, so I, I, I love that time of the day, and uh, I love getting up now and. 
Uh, I still do follow races. I don't have a responsibility so much with it, but it's still fun for me to get up and see you know, who's doing well or maybe catch a live stream of a biathlon event. And uh, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I'm enjoying myself immensely and trying to find as much time as I can to get out on the alpine skis. That's great, Tom. Thank you. I know you're busy. You've got a lot going on. Uh, really, thanks for taking the time for joining us today. Well, thanks, Peter, for spreading the word about sport. Yeah, well, you're very, very welcome, my friend, and uh, love to you and Carol for a happy holiday. Well, it's been a full show today. Uh, Tom Kelly, Colin Hilton, uh, talking about all things winter sport. We appreciate it. On behalf of myself and all the people at Ski Tracks, I want to wish you a very happy and especially peaceful holiday and that you get out and ski. For all of us, I'm Peter Graves. Talk to you next time. Happy holidays.